Welcome to the Big 60 Sort Out, brought to you by the Big Beatles Sort Out. We spent three series sorting the Beatles, and now we're turning our attention to the competition, the context, the bigger picture. Who were they up against? What music influenced them? And will we hear the shockwaves of the Beatles' epic success as we sort all the UK number ones from the 1960s by ranking them for music, lyrics and production? Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the 60s. Welcome to Series 4, Episode 2. I'm Gary Abbott, author, musician, podcaster, and please welcome my popular music history expert, brother Paul, who's also many of those things. I am some of those things, yeah. Yeah. Not an author, though, really. I've written some bits and pieces here and there, but I've never put a book out like what you've done. Like what I have. Yeah, well, I'm sure you could if you wanted to. Yeah, it seems like a lot of work. It was. In fact, I am supposed to be writing a book about the author Ed McBain, but I just... Oh, yeah. Because no one's asked me to do it, I can't motivate myself to do it. You need to get someone to ask uh, you to do it, then. Yeah, so if anyone requires uh, a book about Ed McBain and the 87th Precinct series, I am uh, an expert on that. Yeah, and And accepting pre-orders, and that'll give you some motivation. Yeah, Yeah, that'll do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. anyway... Yes. Yeah, we are. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I've changed up my intro and put my my credentials in this bit, and it's confused us both already, hasn't it? I know it was. It changed the energy, and it it, it threw me <laughs> for a loop. Well, let me go through the other um, housekeeping. Then that's done. Please keep in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at big underscore sort, or email us at bigbeetlesorter at gmail Even though this is the sixties, that's just the email address we've got from our other series. And please do also like, subscribe, and review our little show if you would be so kind. It's always really great to get a little kind of review, five stars, wonderful, if you could. Also, please consider dropping by garyabbott.bandcamp.com and goodgriefliverpool.bandcamp.com to support our own musical endeavours, which are all linked in the episode descriptions. Yeah, so Paul, we've um, got our second week to look forward to. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. And um, yeah, we are carrying on our quest. As we said in the last episode, some episodes we can do five songs, some episodes we can do four songs. That's to make sure we finish a decade on an even episode. So this or is a, a year, f- even a decade. Yeah, a year of the decade. We'll, we'll finish the decade, whatever happens. The year. That's the it. year. So this is a four-song episode, um, and we'll be launching into them soon. But what kind of period are we looking at this time, Paul? We're essentially looking at the. Late part of March 1960 through to late June 1960. So in that period, there's only four songs topping the UK charts. Yeah. Which is uh, which means that at least one of them has to have been up there for quite a time. Of course. Yeah. So I wouldn't know which one that is. I don't know. That's your job. Yeah, well, I'll tell you when we get to it. Yeah. So, okay, so we are covering quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. We're going to have some oh. like this, aren't we, where the year is dominated by a few songs. Yeah, definitely. I think that's very interesting. It's always interesting to see what pops in, goes away, what hangs around, all that sort of stuff. Excellent. And uh, today's, a good, today's episode should be a good example of variety and um, longevity, I suppose. Excellent. Good stuff. So... We um, used to do the On This Beatles Day feature, but now we have changed it to What Are The Beatles Kind Of Doing Around This Kind Of Time? I suppose that's, that's the new name for the feature. Is that the, the official title? Yeah. What were the Beatles kind of doing around this time? Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, Paul, what were the Beatles kind of doing around this time? <laughs> well, this is a very important period for the, the Beatles. Uh, 
When we last left the Beatles, uh, Stu Sutcliffe had essentially joined. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's a big yeah, thing. Yeah, just so, spent his money on Auntie on um. On yeah, so he'd won he'd he won this money, sold this painting, um, and he's gone and been convinced to go and get a bass guitar. So he's joined, but they've cut, sort of at this point they've dropped the Quarrymen name. So this is the point where the Quarrymen are no more. R.I.P. Quarrymen, the band, mm-hmm. and something else is about to emerge. There's a letter, and there's copies of this. You can see that Stu wrote, try to get them a holiday camp booking. Right. Because that was a big way for bands to support themselves, yes. like get down yeah. to, to North Wales and to the holiday camps. So, but there's, yeah, you can see this letter. He starts to write Quarrymen, but then he writes it out and he replaces it with this word, Beatles. Ooh. B-E-A-T-A-L-S. Beatles. Uh, Beatles. Beatles. Yeah. So... Clearly, they hadn't decided how it's going to be spelt at this point. So John spells it the other way. So he spells it the way we know it. Yeah. And there's a recollection from Paul saying that he first heard about it while they were walking along Gambia Terrace, where they had this flat that they were living, some of them were living in, away from town, which is great because I can imagine exactly where this is from Paul's description. Yeah. And I have walked many times along this street where Paul would have first heard the word Beatles, which Ooh. is astonishing. You get a shiver down your spine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but it's very important because it's it's John and, and Stu coming up with this name and saying this is a group name. It's not someone and the someones. Yeah. Like so many other bands were. Yeah, yes, yeah. But it's still got but the yeah, they still got the insect theme of someone and the crickets and Yeah, it's, so it's got that it's got hints of, of other things. It's got the word beat in there. Yeah. But it is it's a standout name. It's also a joke name. You know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a pun. So much of their career it occurs to me and plenty of people have commented on it, but I was thinking about it earlier today, rather, because I put on the uh, Abbey Road Blu-ray surround sound mixes, and, of course, the first thing that comes up is the Apple logo. Yeah. And the, the name of the company is Apple Core. That's a joke. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Paul McCartney's just announced that the new edition of Band on the Run is going to feature a disc of underdubbed songs. Right. Which is, again, that's just a pun. That's not a technical term. That's yeah. a pun, an opposite of overdubbing. Mm. And... I mean, Macca loves a pun, and all the band clearly did. It crops up time and time again, anyway. And Beatles, right from the off, yeah. is weird and funny and stands out. Yeah. So that's good. So that happens here. That's kind of significant. Yeah, that's yeah. It's just a small thing. Just the... yeah. But anyway, I mean, they're only proper bookings at this time. Uh, essentially, at the Liverpool Art School. Right. Which luckily had an, uh, an extra amplifier available in the student union. This is yeah. all, oh, the where... famous amp, um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, one they, amp they in struggled. Liverpool that everyone's using. <laughs> Well, they struggled, you know, and these things were expensive, as we yeah. talked about with the guitar. But yeah, Bill Harry's part of the student union. He convinces them to get like an amp in so they can do things. And so that's a place where they'll play with their other, bring their amp. There's another amp there or whatever. Yeah. But we also, so anyway, there's loads going on. We talk about, we talked last time about them going to see Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran. Mm. Um, and it's during this period we're talking about here, relevant to the rest of this episode as well, in fact, yeah. that Eddie Cochran dies in the car crash. Oh, right, okay. So on the 17th of April 1960, Eddie Cochran dies after this car crash, which is a huge shock to the fans, because yeah. it's happening in the UK. Obviously, we're a little bit on from Buddy Holly and co. But that, yeah. to, to British fans, that's a thing, that's a horrible thing that's happened, but it's happened over in America yeah. as part of that sort of rock and roll mythology thing. This has happened here on British turf. Yeah. And it's... But in the way of things, if you want to be sort of spooky and connected about it, is one of the people who doesn't get in that car with Eddie Cochran and Gene Vincent and a couple of other folk 
is Tony Sheridan. They basically say, no, you can't come with us. You have to make your own way. Oh, right. And because Tony Sheridan's not in the car, he's not in the accident, which means he's not hurt or he doesn't die, which means he can then go on take to, his career off to Hamburg. Where he meets up with a young group some, of boys called the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. De Peters. Um Also, that's weird things like that. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's just... That odd. is strange. So, yeah. It'd be so easy to, to weave some time-bending oh, narrative yeah. around it all, wouldn't it? And just say, uh, this had to happen. Yeah, it's an odd one. But yeah, I mean, Gene, Gene Vincent obviously is hurt but survives. Eddie Cochran yeah. is killed very sadly. And we'll mention Eddie Cochran more later on. Hmm. Uh, about this, during this period, this is when Paul and John go down to Caversham down south to spend some time with Mike and Bette Robbins, Paul's cousins who run a pub. Right. And that's they take their guitars and the amp and hitchhike. Well, now there's, now there's no amp in Liverpool at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul's taken away. <laughs> Uh, that's where they perform as the Nurk twins. Right. The only time they perform as a duo at, at the Fox and Hand, at the Fox and Hands, Fox, the Fox and Hounds. <laughs> Disney's the Fox and Hand. It's just a fox I, dragging a dismembered hand into a hole. <laughs> but it's his best friend, and he learns to love it. Yeah, it's grotesque. Um, anyway, the Fox and Hounds, where the Nurk twins play. Okay. Of course, it's got a blue plaque now. That's over Easter weekend this year, uh, nineteen sixty. Right. But tons more to say. This is also the period where Neil Aspinall, 18 years old, Pete Best's mate, um, I've written down, and this is, I apologize, shacks up with Mona Best, Pete's mum. Right, okay. Who, And that's significant as well because Mona Best's relationship with the Beatles, the Casbar Club, Neil and Pete, and, you know, this Pete's not even part of the band yet. But also what's happening is Larry Parnes, this huge London entrepreneur sort of guys up there in Liverpool talking to Alan Williams about trying to get some Liverpool bands to, to, to back some of his artists, mm. which includes Billy Fury, who's a huge name. Uh, and so John's been asking Alan Williams to help help them help them out, get them an audition. Can yeah. we audition for a Billy Fury backing band? And then on the 10th of May, you basically have loads of bands going to the Wyvern Social Club, which is now called the Blue Angel, or becomes called the Blue Angel, still called the Blue Angel now. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this audition, and and the Beatles go there. They have two drummers during during the course of their rehearsal because they've got a guy called Tommy Moore who's going to be drumming with them, but he turns up late. Yeah. So Johnny Hutchinson um, fills in with them. And the, the weird thing is, I've just said about the band name being the Beatles and being significant because it's not someone under someone. Hmm. Everyone says, that name's stupid. You need to tell him that you called something like Long John Silver and the Beatles or Long John and the Silver Beatles. Yeah. And so that's what they say. Oh, yeah, we're Long John and the Silver Beatles. But ultimately, they end up getting offered a a slot supporting a guy called Johnny Gentle, which is like the least rock and roll name (laughs) on a a tour to Scotland. And they're sort of known as the Silver Beatles or the Silver Beats at this point. Right. And I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but that's that's between May the 20th and 28th. They do the Beat Ballad Tour of Scotland, seven dates. That's where they choose those stage names, Johnny Lennon, Paul Ramone, Carl Harrison and Stu Stale, And Tommy Moore just calls himself Thomas Moore. Yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, the problem was they'd never played enough shows, really, to be doing that job, especially not backing someone who people knew. Right. Um, but it... It does what it needs to do. It makes them more of a band as they come back, you know, and then they come back and they start playing lots more places. Right. Because they've now started to be a band. They've started to have to do the things bands do, which is not just turn up in your student union at lunchtime or whatever. Yeah. And they're having to go to places like the Grosvenor Ballroom in in Liscard over the water. And these places are nice 
buildings for the most part, but they're violent sort of places. The Teds go out there to have a rumble. Right, you know? okay. And Tommy Moore basically goes, oh, I can't be bothered with this. He's a bit older and he's already got a job, so he, he leaves. And I'm nearly at the end of this section of the Beatles in this period. Mm. We've got the Whitechapel branch of NEMS opening at the end of May. So that's the music store owned, owned by the Epstein family. Yeah. And they open this branch in Whitechapel, which is the, the famous one in the centre of town where Brian ends up with his record shop that's quite close to the cavern. Right. And I might come back to this again in the course of this episode. And we'll close, however, with Paul's 18th birthday, which is on the 18th of June, 1960. Right, okay. And it's about this time they get another amp. And it's also when they make a a tape of themselves in Paul's house on Fourth Lynn Road, of which some some people will have heard on Anthology 1. In spite of all the danger, is that the one? No, no, that's where they go to Percy Phillips' oh, okay. place. Right. This is the ones that they do, like, um, sort of with a sort of bathroom echo of them. Paul's sort of like, you know, borrowed one of those tape recorders with a little green eye type thing. Yeah. Uh, the silly things that they're doing there. Cool. But it also, that tape, apparently the full length of that thing includes some original numbers. Another pretty unique thing for the band, having yeah. people writing songs in there anyway. Uh, so, yeah, a busy period. They're starting, you know, spending time writing songs. They're, they've got a bass guitarist. They've been on tour. They've done some shows. And a load of other stuff's happening around them to start to... They're busy. Sort of, yeah, the, the, the events, the universe is forming into a beetly shape. Yes. Yeah. Finally. Oh, good. Good, good. And around this kind of time, had they switched on the radio... Maybe they would have... Or gone down the record shop. Or gone down the record shop. bought. Yeah. These are some of the songs they were very likely to be aware of. So shall we have a listen to what they would have been... What was the soundtrack to that time when all those things were happening? Let's do it. First up then is... My Old Man's a Dustman, Lonnie Donegan. My Old Man's a Dustman, he wears a Dustman's hat. He wears gold blimey trousers and he lives in a council flat. I say, I say, I say... Uh, my dustbin's full of lilies. Well, throw them away then. I can't lilies wearing them. <laughs> now one day, whilst in a hurry, he missed a lady's bin. He hadn't gone but a few yards when she chased after him. What game do you think you're playing? She cried right from the yard. You've missed me. Am I too late? Now jump up on the cart. <laughs> my old man's a dustman, Paul. Is he? Yeah. My old man's not, and he's the same old man. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. hmm. Can't work that one out. Anyway, you know, this is what I was saying about variety and uh, stuff in here. Is this a novelty song? I don't know. Yes. What it certainly is is a is a huge skiffle hit. Yes. By Lonnie Donegan. But it's a novelty, uh, it's a novelty song, Paul. It's definitely a novelty uh, song. Well, yeah, it, it is. It stops except... to say jokes. <laughs> well, yeah, which... But you know, some things do that. It, but it is—it's novelty in that sense. It's novelty because it's—it's a very big representation of skiffle, which is so amateur, and I mean that in a good way, because mm. the people performing on this record aren't amateurs at all. No. But the, 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 there's a disc that's number one for four weeks, okay. starting on the 31st of March 1960, is is quite a big thing. Yeah, yeah. it's it's fascinating, really. So it's. Uh, Probably engineered by Eric Tomlinson, more likely Ray Prickett. Probably produced by Alan A. Freeman, 
It's a bit hard to tell because this is a live recording. Yes. But it's out yeah. on Pi, so we have to sort of work out who was looking after the sort of Donegan sessions and actually engineering live shows as much as anything. Uh, the B-side's a song called The Golden Vanity, which isn't as silly as the A-side. Right. And it's credited to Lonnie Donegan, Peter Buchanan, and Beverly Thorne, who it turns out is actually Leslie Brickus, who writes stuff with Anthony Newley. Right. Um, but of course, what it actually is, it's an old song that's been... I thought it must be. Is it... Adopted, adapted, updated. So is it... It's not a Donegan original. It's... Um, is it kind of basically traditional... Well, I'll get a, into that in a, in, yeah. a, in a second when we talk about the, the music and stuff like that. But Lonnie Donegan is a very, very important name. This is his only appearance at the top of the charts during the 60s, although he's had two number ones before this. Okay. Which is what, Cumberland what? Gap and, and Gambling Man. Right, okay. Is and that, I mean, is that even the one a, with um, when you play the game of life, you get trouble? No, that's, Jack, that's Jack of Diamonds. Jack of Diamonds, okay. Yeah, uh, but he'd even had a couple of top, top 10 records in the... In the American charts in the States, I've lost the ability to say that then. But yeah, a couple of top 10 records in America. So, you know, well, he is the symbol of skiffle. Really. Yeah, yeah. You know, cause it's, so it's really, really hard to overstate the importance of Donegan and skiffle because it, it's, it's essential to the future of pop music in the UK and therefore, by extension, the world. Yes. Because it's really all about accessibility. It's about hearing music that you can make yeah. easily. Yes. Um, acoustic guitar, banjos, washboards, basses made out of tea chests, that sort of thing. Things that, if they're not lying around, are at least easier to get hold of than a shiny new electric guitar. Yeah. That sort of thing. Or an amplifier. Or a full drum kit. It, yeah, or a full drum kit even. Yeah. Portable, affordable, low entry-level skill requirements. You could, I mean, the thing is, you could start a band, Yeah. even with two of you, and... You could also take that band anywhere on a bus, you know. Yeah, yeah. This stuff is re- this is really really important. It's it's about accessibility. It's about bringing the opportunity so people could see this music being performed on TV on and stuff like that, and go, "All oh, right, okay, we'll have a bash at that." Mm. I've got three chords here, which is essentially what this song is: three chords. Um, and Lonnie tours a fair bit with his skiffle group, so kids can get to go and see him. Lots of people can go and see him. McCartney definitely went to see him in the Liverpool Empire mm-hmm. in November 1956. And I think another important thing about this is a lot of it is very silly and funny yeah. as much as it is folksy and traditional. Yeah. You know, a lot of this is like lead belly type American blues stuff, but it's also, does your chewing gum lose its flavour on the bedpost overnight? Or my old man's a dustman. Yeah being played in Britain by a British person, Lonnie Donegan, um, born in Scotland, raised in England. He joins Chris Barber's jazz band, which is sort of trad jazz stuff, mm-hmm. on banjo. And then as that band develops, when they play shows during the intervals, he steps out with a couple of members of the band and does these sets in the intervals, yeah. these what they call skiffle breaks. And people were like, more of that, please. That's better than the jazz. <laughs> yeah, possibly, yeah. possibly, but it's it, yeah, it's easy to grab hold of. Good short songs that fit on a disc, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's. I mean, you could do podcast after podcast about Skiffle itself, mm. and you could do podcast after podcast podcast about Lonnie Donegan himself and how important he is. But here we are. This is his only number one of the sixties, right? But he's already well established, and as we know, he's had a massive influence on people, including John Lennon. So did um... you know? To, 
did sorry to interrupt did putting on the style not get anywhere then or not get i don't know where putting on the style got in the charts it probably would have got i think it was a single yeah but you know that's that's one that's famously you know the quarry men play putting on the style hmm. all those sorts of things ace yes i mean it's funny because i know he's, he's, he's he looms massively large in that history of skiffle and therefore rock and roll and everything in this country especially and abroad but um but this is like a is a novelty song with all those elements behind it but it's it's predominantly a, a daft song but in a, in a, a daft laugh it's a daft laugh it's, it's it's a song i know very well not least because you bought as a cd a few years when when elizabeth was 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 very small and um which was a children's cd but it was a children's cd basically of anything over 50 or 60 years old. So it yeah. had things like The Laughing Policeman and this and and, and and putting on the style and all sorts of stuff. It was basically it was a children's CD, but it wasn't. It was novelty songs from the 20s through to the 60s. And um, But also, it's just one of those songs you just all, everyone knows about. And I was asking my wife, Hazel, I was saying to her, like, you know, where do you know my old nan's dustman? She said, oh, I don't know, you just pick it up, don't you? It's hear it in school but where did we actually hear it you know where would we yeah i don't know i don't know i couldn't tell you the first time i heard it at all but we you, you, i guess loads of people know know it and just you know i seem to have a vague memory of finding out about skiffle and finding out about lonnie donegan at some point when i was perhaps in my teenage years and then going what he did my old man's a dustman yeah and and it being oh no yeah he did it he was <laughs> he didn't just yeah didn't just cover it he's the one who basically popularized it so even if it was an yeah. earlier thing um yeah but anyway it is a novelty and you know it's an out and out comedy song it, it literally comedy happens in the middle of it a few times um with a skiffle backing so it is you know it, it, it and like you just said it comes out of that that jazz band needing a break thing so like but it's a kind of a Cockney knees up as well, isn't it? I can hear the traditional kind of. You'd imagine it comes out of the East End, wouldn't you? Something like this, a bit roll out the barrelly, a bit. It's a, it's akin to those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, it's it's quite hard to pin down exactly where it's from, really. And there's lots of few websites that I was looking at for the research, but we'd have been here forever if I'd started like cribbing from them and talking about it. Like, um, I found a clipping from the Western Times of February the second, nineteen twenty-three. Ah. Uh, uh, the villagers looked forward to the visit of Mr. Harry Punchard, the popular ventriloquist and entertainer, who was in especially good form. His new chorus song, As a Dame, My Old Man's a Dustman, was soon taken up by the audience and brought down the house. Ah. Well, maybe and I'm... also, in the late 50s, uh, an author called Wolf Mankiewicz wrote a book called My Old Man's a Dustman, hmm. which I started reading about and then got... What am I doing? Sucked into stuff that we didn't need to know <laughs> about. Too, I can't do go down this rabbit hole with every song. But it is one of those yeah. songs that it's intriguing right, as to where it came from. There's a lot around yeah. this time like that. Like that entire CD you got me, you could do a, every single song you think, like The Laughing Policeman. It's got this different history of different popularised versions. Oh, yeah. And Well, if anyone wants to know about The Laughing Policeman, although I'm not doing it anymore, if you go to the Head Ballet podcast, there's a very, very good episode about yes. it. Charles Penrose and the Laughing Policeman. Yes, all if, the history you, of it. if you have joined us from a, 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 this series, Paul did a great series called The Head Ballet, which covers lots of novelty songs. This wasn't on it, though, was it? No, this wasn't on it. We didn't no. cover any Lonnie Donegan, which would have been interesting to do so. But, um, yeah, apparently Lonnie Donegan was saying in an article in the Sunday Mirror, I've tracked it back to Birmingham University before the 1940 wa- 1914 war. Right. The student sang My Old Man's a Fireman on an Elder Dempster Boat. 
Uh, somehow through the years, the tune got twisted and the old man became a dustman. Uh, Lonnie grinned as he added, when I picked up the song at school in the 30s, the words were unprintable. Ah, right. Okay. So, so yeah. The, yeah, he said, we started doing it as a gag, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and then it's like, we needed something to record. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, do that. So, I mean, it's a simple musical melodic phrase. You know, it's a, it is a knees up. It's like you say, it's skiffle, it's accessible, it's easy. It's a couple of chords and it's a kind of like sing along type of feel to it. Um, you know, all the way through the verses and the chorus. Uh, the only difference is it elongates sections when it needs to, so he can do the I say, I say, I say kind of sections and his little jokes, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in the lyrics. Uh, it's a ca- obviously catchy little earworm. Anyone could pick of any age can pick this up and remember it, and whatever. So I think that's why people do. And it's a fun melody. That, yeah, it's it, and you get this live performance feel to it. So everyone's obviously very proficient at what they're doing and how they're doing it. I think there's a fiddle in there on close listening, not in my car. Yeah, there definitely is, yeah. There's so basically, f- oh, yeah, yeah he, he does have a skiffle group that he plays with, but I think they, they swap up the arrangement for this because what they basically do is get the drummer down to wander around the stage with a bass drum with a cymbal attached. Or yeah. if you see in some of the footage of this, like he's, the drummer's hitting a bin with a cymbal on top of it. Right, okay. So that could, and he, So he could be doing that on this recording here. As well, I think the guitarist jumps over to stand, do the stand-up bass and the normal bassist plays the fiddle on it. Right. Um, it's, I couldn't find a definitive lineup for this, basically. Um, but it's great, yeah. You know, So if you ever see uh, Lonnie Donegan and his band, they're all wearing bow ties and suits and things yeah. like that. But this is quite sort of raucous and radical and can be quite rude. And some of the versions of this you'll see live, he does totally different verses. Right. Yeah, you know, totally different jokes. Yeah, you all imagine sorts he could stuff. just change them up every night if he wanted to. Yeah. He just had to say. There's a thing about like my old man's an astronaut, <laughs> right. and he has his old man being shot into space and landing in Red Square in Russia, okay. making a quip about Khrushchev's aftershave, and it's like <laughs> it's like all right, satire. That's great. That's great. Um, but musically, which is the section I'm on, yes, he, he sings it well. They've got the backing. They're doing a rollicking old job, but it is standard fare, really. I can't give it much musically beyond its earwormness. Um, so um, uh, I'm giving it 38 for music, but that's because I think its strengths lay elsewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's still fun. It's good. Yeah. So production. I mean, we've talked about it already. I mean, the only version. This is I've listened on streaming for the sake of doing my notes, but then I've got that CD version, which I've, and I'm pretty sure they're the same version. I think there's some cuts in the streaming version. Which sounds like two performances have been spliced because I was listening closely. This laughter, oh, right. the laughter track, gives it away at one point. Uh, it's, the 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 volume just kind of blocks down to a different level. There might be a, a difference between an album version and a yeah. and the original stage version that ends up on the on the disc. Uh, I couldn't tell you obviously without looking at the it's, all the possible different versions, but it would have been certainly well covered, and it would have been recorded a few times. Here yeah, there. exactly. There may have been just like all sorts of variations on it that went out in different places here and there. But it's live, whichever version you listen to, you do get live. So we get the noisy audience um, tittering and raucously laughing. Well, this is recorded at the the Gaumont Cinema in Doncaster, so it's a northern audience. Good old, and I do love that laughter. Yeah, because there's at least you can identify like at least one woman who's in the crowd who's having an absolutely brilliant time. Yeah, it it it, it, it's fun when you hear that energy in the room. Like um, the other one, um, hole hole in my pocket is another one where where you get the audience laughing. You can hear them going along, and. 
But not always, though. It's funny, because I don't know if it's how it's recorded, but sometimes they seem to absolutely go mad at some of the jokes that I don't think are as funny as the audience do. And then in other ones, mm. they don't seem to, to, to laugh at all. And I think that's because, I don't know, it's almost like that someone's quickly pointing the microphone at the audience when they laugh or not. You know, it could be as crude as that. Um, yeah. So well, apparently his shows were so popular and, he, and because he was such a sort of a brilliant figure, very, very chatty, did a lot of in between chat between things, you know, um, some of the shows were just apparently inaudible because of the audience noise. Yeah. Because of the laughter, the co- continuous laughter. And it's got yeah, its charm amazing. for it, but it is on a scale of production in the way I'm scoring things. Again, it has to be a low one. So I've given it 25 yeah. for production because it is alive it's kind of not fair to be judging show. it by the same <laughs> yeah. by the standards of a, of, of a studio recording but a studio recording would have been sterile and it, very boring yeah. it's amazing without these that you've got to think with these ones that score low on the kind of technical aspects to still become number ones means that there's something about mm. them which is which transcends any kind of um attempt futile attempt at objective scoring which is obviously not possible but um yeah, I've only given it 25 for production. It is a live thing. And I do think they're just occasionally flitting the microphone at the audience. So sometimes it gets a bit quite loud. But if we go yeah. through some of the lyrics, Paul, we'll get to see where those big laughs are. I'm not going to through all of it. Actually, it's huge. <laughs> no. So you have a, you have a, like a little intro. So the only bit that has any yes. sort of interesting chords, as it were, interesting yes. at speech mark, is the intro where he's sort of doing now here's, here's a, little a little story. story. To tell it is a must. Yeah. Yeah. And then it basically we have a... A full-length chorus, but then when it repeats, we just have the top half of the chorus, which com- keeps coming back. Yeah. That's the little sing-along bit. And My then... old dun- man's a dustman. He wears a dustman's hat. He wears cold blimey trousers, and he lives in a council flat. Oi! Yeah, he looks a proper nana in his great big hobnail no boots. boots. He's got such a job to pull them up that he calls them Daisy Roots. So that's the first joke, which yeah. gets a massive roar. And you're like, yeah. Mm, yeah it's, it's, I mean, it's nice to hear it, but it's, kind of, it's not that funny. But, yeah, I don't know that pulling up daisies is uh, is a, such a thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and also, not pushing up daisies, which would be something else. Also pulling pu- up daisies. Pulling up daisies. I mean, daisies are easy to pull up. Well, a daisy is, but I suspect the actual roots of daisies go. Yeah. I presume the joke is that they're like tap roots that go right, right all the way yeah. down. It's really hard to get out. So let me go through some of the jokes then. So we get- but I'd like to say, if there are any on. of our overseas listening, Nana is short for banana. Oh. I would have thought they could have figured that out. <laughs> well, I, I trust them, but, you know, I just like the clarification. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so then they don't laugh quite so much, which I don't know if, again, because of the, they didn't record it quite so well, but I also quite respect them for it. At the line where he spills up some of the bins on his steps and to the council wrote, and next time yeah. my old man went round there, he punched him up the throat. <laughs> it's like, throat. what? Throat. throat. Not throat. 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 I like. We've, throat. we've lost the art in comedy of saying, I'll punch you up the throat. <laughs> we've lost the art. Not, I'll punch you in the face, but I'll yeah, punch you up the throat. Up, up, why up the throat? I mean, up the throat. I don't want to be punched up the throat. Yeah. It's so violent. <laughs> and, but innocent. It's like, because it's a big, it's a punchline to the verse. It's like, oh, I punched him up the throat. What? Yeah. You did what? <laughs> Then, but that uh, leads us through to yeah, to basically to the first bit of like I stage see, patter. See. Yeah. So he so he basically does this stage patter with um Ah I, I assume it's Les Bennett's who's playing who I think is playing the bass on this one, playing the stand up bass on this right. one. Even though he's normally the guitarist and sort of harmony singer. Because he does say I say I say Les. Yes, and actually you know. that's how I know this isn't the same as the C D version, because although it's extremely similar, like ninety five percent similar, 
and apart there's that weird edit and at one point when he i think the second time he does i say i say say the the les guy says oh it's him again and he doesn't do it in the one i heard on the streaming version so uh, yeah yeah so I, there was a difference um yeah so he gets his first i say i say well do you want to do it paul um well you can be- i say i i'll do I'll, I'll be i'll be lonnie i say i say les yeah i uh i found a police dog in my dustbin how do you know he's a police dog he had a policeman with him. <laughs> See, that's quite funny. Pause for applause. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Then they. Then then he. Then he gets. So you get like a a, a standing joke where they stop. They stop and actually speak it, and then they get those jokes built into the verses. The next one being that. Um, like his dad's being old, dad but he's getting, getting a, married. He's getting a bit. Yeah, and he's saying like, when you get to my Rude, age, it helps to pass the time, and then you get a good old cockney oi. Then you get the next one, which is... Go on, then, next one. Now, this is one, hey, Paul. One second. Go on. This Ew. one, I just do not get. And even okay. though people have repeatedly explained it to me, because I've asked <laughs> for, for years, been saying, why is it? What does this mean? And people say, I still don't get it, but let's see if you... you Should can. we do it? Yep. I say, I say, I say. Huh? My dustbin's full of lilies. Well, throw them away, then. I can't. Lily's wearing them. I, I just... Just don't get it. I'm not going to explain it again. <laughs> I asked mum. She thinks She thinks it means like Lily's knickers. Yeah, I think so. I think it's basically my dustbin's full of lilies. Or what? Someone's filled your dustbin with like plants that they've thrown away. Uh, I can't. Lily's wearing them. And it's like. So the implication is my dustbin's full of lilies possessive. Dot, dot, dot. It's being naughty again. Okay. But why is she wearing them? I'm sorry, somebody knows different, in which case tell us. Right. And please just put Gary out of his misery. And then, um, yeah, what, then there's the one about, um, you missed a lady's bin and she said, you've missed me an hour too late. He says, no, jump upon the cart. Yeah. Um, there's, then there's the joke that ends with, there's not mushroom inside. Not mushroom inside. There's a joke about a tiger's the head. tiger's head, that's, no. a, that's a kind of slightly obscure, like, it's, a, it's an intri- a, a not obscure, lateral one. Like, yeah. you know, to, to build a joke in about, um, I found a tiger's head and someone said, where's his tail? No, yeah. hang on. No, well, that's not right, is it? I've got it wrong. <laughs> if I, I found a tiger's head one day, nailed to a piece of wood, the tiger looked quite miserable, but I suppose he should. Just then from out the window, a voice began to wail. He said, oi, where's my tiger's head? And then the whole band said, from, from his, his tail. tail. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good joke, but it's a strange one. But I, yeah, it's loads of fun. I, I like I like hearing the audience reaction. I like how silly it is, and it's a bit of cabaret, a bit of cheeky Cockney laugh kind of stuff. And you know we're kind of half Cockneyish, aren't we, Paul? So kind of no, we, we're you know close. We're not far away. We're half Essex. Yeah, it's not far away, but I, um, yeah, forty eight. I've given it for lyrics. All right, because okay. it's thirty seven overall, which sounds. You know, I'm never going to put. I'm never deliberately going to go and listen to this. But when I listen to it, it's fun. It, it occupies a very unique space in musical. I just want you to bear in mind yeah. that if you ignore the beginning bit, this is basically three chords yeah. on a guitar in the key of G, with a bit of dual male harmony singing. Just keep that in mind as we move on. Okay, and that'll come back at some point. Next, then, Paul, do you mind Anthony Newley? So that if I say I love ya, do you mind? Make an idol of you, 
Do you mind If I shower you with kisses If I tell you Honey, this is how I think of heaven Do you mind, Paul? No, I babysit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, know someone who'll un- I know someone who'll, uh, who'll understand that. Okay. Um, so, Do You Mind by Anthony Newley. So, this is our second appearance of Anthony oh, yeah, Newley. This, only, this is only number one for one week. Oh, that's one week too many. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming in on the 28th of April, 1960. This is probably uh, produced by Ray Horrocks. As, again, finding out exactly who do the, produces all these things is sometimes a bit difficult. But, yeah, it's probably Ray Horrocks. Accompaniment by Johnny Gregory. The writer of this is Lionel Bart. So this is a, a, a British composer. I'll talk about Lionel Bart in a second. Mm-hmm. The B-side is a song called Girls Were Made to Love and Kiss, which is an old 1920s thing, I think. Okay. Um, it's out on Decca. And so, Gary, if you remember, at the top of the show, I mentioned about NEMS opening on Whitechapel in Liverpool. I do. And the person who opened it, the special guest in May of 1960, was Anthony Newley. Oh, so he's nice. there, and he, he has cocktails and dinner with the Epsteins. You know, causes a scene because he's quite a big star. You know, the you yeah, know, yeah. traffic stops in town type thing. Mm. So there we are. That's a very specific link. But I have got another Anthony Newley link to the Beatles. Okay. Prepare yourself. <laughs> Don't take He was John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was a very talented man. Yeah. I, I recommend to everyone, with the proviso that, you know, once you've seen it, you can't not see it, is that you go onto YouTube and you find the Beat- the, <laughs> the Beatles thing called Beatles Forever from 1977 on ABC TV in America. Right. It is... Oh, I've seen that, yes, yes. With, the, oh, with the, all the dancers God. and the... the... It is so show-busy, but so terrible. I mean, apart from the fact that Ray Charles is on there doing a few bits and bobs, and he's brilliant. Right. And then they have, like, this Beatles medley thing with a whole bunch of different people, like, stuff, you know, like, Anthony Newley does She's Leaving Home with Bernadette Peters, which is quite nice. This isn't what I've seen. I was thinking you're on about that weird one with the dancers and, like, all the psychedelic... It's like an Australian dance troupe doing a medley of things. Beatles numbers. That's oh, no, that's a whole other thing. Oh, okay. No, th- but this is a similar sort of thing. It's a sort of s- celebrity-packed dance and singing spectacular right. called Beatles okay. Forever. But at one point, Anthony Newley does a version of Within You, Without You. Oh, my goodness. It's nuts. Yeah. He's just wandering around these people dressed in a sort of quasi-Indian, a bit like the way the Beatles were dressed when they were in yeah. Rishikesh. But it's Anthony Newley in 1977. Weird. On a sort of populist TV, you know, celebrity sing-along, la-la-la. It's a, it's a car crash. It's nuts. <laughs> oh, I want to see that now. I'm well, I will share the link to yes. make everyone else suffer. Please it do. It just has to be seen to be believed. But it's, it's insane because Anthony Newley is amazing. So in 1960, he made a TV series yeah. called The Strange World of Gurney Slade. Right. So he he devises it, and then it gets written by Sid Green and Dick Hills, who go on to become Morecambe and Wise's first proper writers. Mm-hmm. So it sort of starts out like a TV sitcom slash drama type thing. Yeah. But then in the first episode, the character walks out of his own show. Right. 
essentially walks out of reality, of the reality of the show he's in. Right. And then just sort of wanders off ruminating on life. And it just gets weirder and weirder as it goes along. That sounds great. Have you got so, that? Like, Have you got I've that? got it, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's available on DVD and uh, Blu-ray as well. Um, yeah, there's an episode where he gets put on trial for not being funny enough in the first few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That sounds good. It, he's, it, yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's very weird. But it's very sort of like, here's the 60s, guys. Mad. Yeah. But that's Anthony Newley, who we've talked about before, and we're yeah. talking about again here for this song. Do you mind? Uh, and I do mind it because I don't like it particularly. I don't like it either. And this is this, it's a shame because I, obviously, I New, Newley's is such a talented person. And when I this one started, and I, I just that you know, we start with that him singing a cappella, um, more or less, more, more kind or less. of singing a cappella, and all they've got is a clicking sound. You know, yeah. he's just well, a clicking. It's not a clicking sound. It's the sound of clicking, and um, and then a, and a stand-up bass joins in, and he's not quite crooning. He's singing quite thinly. He's not kind of like going do your thing. He's kind of like he's doing it quite gentle. Do you, do you mind? And then we get he's some... acting. That's my problem with it. Yeah. You can hear him acting the song, and which then... is fine for musicals, which he does lots and lots of, and it suits him for a lot of things. For this, it feels. <sighs> Really false to me, and then and then you get the jaunty kind of backing joining in. It's a bit kind of jazzy, but the chords aren't. It's 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 arranged and orchestrated like um uh, you know what was the was it feeling good? He wrote what was he wrote? What did he write? Yeah, feeling good. He yeah, wrote feeling good. he's got that. You you can see that that's what the kind of what he thinks he's reaching for with this. But the chords are all very major chords. I thought it was sort of almost like they've tried to do like a sort of rock ballad thing, like a rock and roll ballad, but then they've given it to him and his voice is sort of, they've sort of tried to turn it then on its, sort of twist it into the shape of this jazz particular thing, like jazz like, standard like thing. Jazz thing. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work. No. Whereas if you'd actually have kept it down to the sort of dun, dun, and given to someone with a rock and roll voice, a bit of a sneer, a bit of a, you know, a bit of an edge, it would have worked. Yeah, with a bit of, um, yeah. Even an Elvis type. Because there is a, there is a bit of this melody which sounds like she's a woman. It goes. I don't know. That's that was nothing. <laughs> what was that? That was nice though. Uh, uh, there it goes. There's a bit where there's just a little phrase. It sounds like the. Um, oh God, I don't know how it goes. Um, I feel like you're reaching here, Gary. It's hard to explain, but there's a bit of it. There's a tiny one phrase which sounds like a tiny one bit of she's a woman. But it doesn't quite settle into being a jazzy chord thing. It sounds all too majory chordy for me. There's a kind of a Hawaiian sounding guitar riffing around. I don't know what that's doing. Another guitar strumming along on the beat. And then the melody doesn't go to a logical place for my ears. I don't like it. And I especially don't like it when he sings, Do you think I love you? <laughs> In a funny way. It gets very strange with his delivery, doesn't it? Do you think I love you? <laughs> I can't even do it. It's if so cringy. I say I love you. <laughs> Dear mind, I love you. Make a night, I love you. Dear mind. <laughs> but he's just doing that after doing it kind of like... Is it the bit hey. you're talking about with She's a Woman? Is it, if I shout, if I shower you with kisses? It's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah. But not. But doesn't go where you, yeah. your ear wants it to. Interesting, interesting. But um, the bit I like the most is the outro, not just because the chords finally settle down into a bit of a pattern and a bit of a groove at that point, but because it yeah. means the song's over. 
It's mad this got to number one. I just really, it feels For like... For one the, week, though, one it, week. Yeah, but... It was because he was a big one. star. I think partly this is because... Uh, you're going to have the a situation where vehicle. people are... Yeah. The star power of like, oh, wow, and a new, new, new single, everyone buys it. And then, they, goes, uh, and then they stop buying it very quickly after that. It just feels like the chords have been pulled randomly from a shoe. So, you know... Um, I'm going to get 20. You keep your cords, cords in the shoe. Do you not remember getting cords from a shoe, Paul? No. I'll always remember. We, when we played in a, a very early kind of incarnation of, of a band that we, we me and you and um, Chris and Nick. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because of the, without going into it all. Have we talked about this before? I don't we know. Well, basically, yeah. We tried to write a song by writing chords on, on scraps of paper, putting them in somebody's shoe and then pulling <laughs> them out. And... Then play and that it. song is still played today. It's the national anthem. <laughs> yeah. Who would know? Who would have known it would have worked so well? Um, well, yeah. I don't think that was how Lionel Bart, who I said was the writer, wrote this. So Lionel Bart's most famous for Oliver, the musical. Oh right, okay. You know that's a smash hit. You know the films a smash hit. He did lots and lots of songwriting for other people. It wasn't just like writing stage musicals. So he, like he writes Living Doll. He does From Russia with Love. He does yeah. loads of songs for Tommy Steele. Right, okay. But, um, yeah, Lionel Bart, again, you could do a podcast series on him. He led quite a life. He, he was one of these up and partying and, and out and about and bankrupt. Right, one of those. He, you know, he ends up giving away, the essentially giving away the rights from for Oliver. To, it's it's quite yeah. a sad story by the end. Oh, they always into. like that, don't they? Always. I know, I know. I'm very you, sorry, you, everyone. You want to fly under the radar a little bit, do a mildly successful in a very small niche audience podcast and just keep your head down. You know, keep your head down. Yeah. You know, clean sand. No, um, let's but, move on. No, but, Go on, yeah, sorry. Lionel Bart was very, very famous anyway. Yeah, so yeah. he wrote that. He wrote all of that. As was Anthony Newley, but the, the, when the two of them came together, they did something I don't like. 20 for music. Produc- production. I, I, I suppose the production's all right. There's a lot of, spe- of space in this, which it doesn't really help. Because yeah. I say he doesn't really pick the right voice for the for the space that he's got. Um, but what what's there sounds nice. The bass and the and the guitars and things they they all sound very distinct and nice. Yeah, it's very clear. I mean, you you've never heard reverbed finger clicks like these ones. No, uh, but if then some to, echoing, it's like some clicking their fingers in a cathedral. Yeah, but then if you can kind of uh, give responsibility for the love ya line as a production choice, then that definitely goes against it, since no one said don't do that. But don't you can also give you can also give uh, sort of production it's sort of production slash music there's a point where they do a like percussion thing over one of the bits just once they do it i think all right i think over one of the if i shower you with kisses bits and it's like suddenly there's like this triplet thing going on it gives it a little bit of zip in one of the just one of those b sections um, but then it stops. And yeah, well, that's like the outro. It suddenly gets like the the bass gets going. Ding, 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 ding. Do you? Mind? But it's like then it stops. It's like oh right, okay, just got the good, end. and then it ends. But I'm giving it forty for production. So lyrics then. I mean, I don't mind the lyrics so much. This kind of kissy wissy lyrics. Yeah, but I like the I like the use of the word idle in there. It's, that's that's a different word. You know, it's not. That's I like it when a word that doesn't get to be used in lyrics very much kind of creeps in. If I say you love you, do you mind make an idol of you? Do you mind? Oh yeah. It's yeah. like it's a good. So I was thinking idol like I D L E. No, no idol. Where he says make an idol of you, do I? He's put you up on a pedestal. Yeah. No, you know. Yeah. So like um, you know that's all right. And I like shower you with kisses. If I tell you, yeah, honey, it just keeps this coming is. back though. I mean, it's very light. It's, it's there's very... not much to it. It's it's no. But um, 
it's not going to get away with it for Lucas because it, yeah, twenty five for Lucas, twenty eight overall. It's not my favourite. All right. Sorry, Newley, you, you you had a long and and um, uh, impressive career, but this isn't one that I'm uh, I'm I'm that bothered about. Okay. Let's go on to the next one then, which is Kathy's clown, the Everly Brothers. I've got a stand tall. You know a man can crawl. clown paul well we are cooking now aren't we mm. really but you know how i said about so another call back yeah with my old man's a dustman you basically have three chords in the key of g on a guitar and two yeah. male voices harmonizing well we've got it again it's in the key of g it takes about three chords to play this and it's got two male voices harmonizing and yeah. so it's no wonder that, that you, you know, on one hand you have like skiffle sounding one way and then you also have these records coming in from america that the the beatles mm. are hearing or the proto beatles are hearing i mean it's silly for me to try and put a beatles link to the everlees because essentially this is fundamental this is stuff they would definitely yeah listening, think about them absorbing. going off at john and paul going off as the nurk twins yeah because they could get together with two guitars and their voices and be the everly brothers yeah i mean they, um, they very but, well may have banged this one out i imagine yeah yeah entirely possibly um, oh, it depends when Easter fell. Um, but uh, if you want a direct connection of something very specific, the Everlees go on for quite a, a time. So in 1984, they have a song called On the Wings of a Nightingale, written for them by one Paul McCartney. Oh. Well, there we go. And, I mean, they are actually brothers, Don and Phil. They come out of a family group which is the Everly family. So, you know, they're like eight and six years old when they start singing with their mum and dad. Right. Uh, but then they go off, form their career as a duo. They have to do what a lot of people did in America. They have to go off and do their stint in the armed forces, like Elvis did. Yeah. Um, and again, like Elvis, when they get back, their career is not quite the same, although their career lasts a lot longer and they obviously don't die in the 70s. Um. They stick it out as a duo until the 70s, then they split up into and perform separately, but they get back together in the 80s. Yeah. But of course, I mean, the Everlees are just... Yeah. They're, they're hit makers at this point. They've had Bye Bye Love, which was a number two in the UK. Um, oh, sorry, number two in the US, number six in the UK. Wake Up Little Susie is a number one wow. in America, a number two over here. All I have to do is dream is number one all over the place. Blimey. The songs that you even... That haven't lasted the test of time as much haven't lasted the test haven't of time. lasted and tested the test the last of what <laughs> I, I get what you mean yeah haven't stood the test of time yes, that's it. the word i was looking for um like bird dog and problems I mean, these are all hits though you yeah know, there's a few of them that have sort of been forgotten a little bit compared to these smash hits like this one this is their next big smash hit kathy's clown um even though they're not quite as big in the states from this point onwards but they are across everywhere else but yeah it's like skiffle but it's it's not. It's rock and roll. It's amazing how these things are all sort of similar and uh, what people pick up on. Mm. And yeah, 
I, you can't really, I can't fault this song, really. Well, let's see what I think of it, because it's my scores. So, I mean, it, it, this was number one in America as okay. well, though. It's on, Warner, it's on Warner Brothers, and it's written by Don Everly, so it's their own composition as well. That's important. Excellent. Well, I like the beat with the stair roll up to and oh, on the fourth beat. Which sounds... Yeah, we hear, we hear that somewhere else, don't we? Well, it's... Kind of, yeah. The, the drum. I've got something to say about the drums in the production bit. It actually, actually, to think about it, it's um, it's got a bit of tomorrow never knows about it. In that I hope beat. you like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, again, dum- I will say something more dum- about dum- this in production. Dum- but uh, yeah, and I love the harmony descending under the held note in the verses. I like that. You know, whether it's hard like, to know. Please, if please me. Yeah, yeah. One of them stays on the top note, and the other one goes yeah. underneath it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and it obviously it directly influenced them. Of course it did. You can hear oh, yes. them. You can hear the DNA in this. You can't. You absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's hard to know which is the verse and the chorus because that's the hook and that's how where you start. So I would say they're the choruses, really, aren't they? And then the verses are the um, the B sections, anyway. Yeah, it is. It's a funny. It's a funny structure, really. Yeah. It's it. It seems like a simple song because it it is, but. It's not usual. It's 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 simple, but it's not usual. And like you say, they they don't have many chords in there. But what they do do in the B section is they change up the 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 um the rhythm of the chords. So you go into a kind of like a a, a, a bit of a rock and rolly type of section with just dun, one voice. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, and they're picking up the pace a bit in that, you know. Um, and and I love the how the bass is sliding up and down to the note. Um, and then I love the strictness of it in the verses and the little guitar echoes of the melody, and how this gives away gives way to that kind of piano boogie section and the double time cymbal kind of like pushing it. Yeah, I really like this musically. I think it's really, really, really good. So I've given it fifty nine for music, which is the highest so far. All right, okay. So we've got basically, obviously, the Everly's playing their guitars. You also have Floyd Kramer on piano. Floyd Chance on bass and Buddy Harmon on drums. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really nice uh, arrangement, especially with the piano being used, not like continuously no, all it the just way through all the time. It gives them B jumps. sections there. Yeah, those, it really uh, that change helps it. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. They've made a big effort to make sure those those sections stand out from the other section by like dropping down to the one voice, bringing in the piano, upping the cymbal, you know, all those things. 59 for music. Production, it's a really clever production because it knows how to get the most out of the voices in that arrangement and the recording i really feel the spaces around the instruments and the voices sitting over the top like custard on a trifle it's um it's it's it all really feels really nicely spaced and together at the same time um yeah yeah to the point where i can hear those little slides on the but if you listen to it the bass is always going like he's just doing a sort of little slide up and down but to be able to hear that it means that they've got that really nice. In well, I think this is our first example of a really well thought out rock and roll type production that's that's yeah doing something different and interesting. So we basically it's credited to Wesley Rose, who was their manager and producer, but yeah. actually the person to talk about is Bill Porter, who's the engineer on this. Because at this point, the sort of roles of producer, manager, things like that can very often get twisted together, and it's a very strange thing. But Bill Porter, the engineer, has basically done something daft with the drums that you just wouldn't expect. That no, it doesn't need doing, but it makes such a massive difference. Right. Um, and apparently this is a one-take recording. Wow. 
So they're, it's a one-take recording. They're sharing one microphone, hmm. which is, you know, part of how that sound blends together in a, as a voice. Yeah. And you can find out a fair bit of, of information about this on this this on online and stuff like that he says um so bill porter says if you listen closely the drums sound like two drummers playing i had gotten a tape loop machine from rca new york that ran 60 inches per second uh, four different playback heads which you could switch in and out and then move them around the tape path and so basically what he's doing is he's running a, a live extra tape the drums through an extra tape changing oh. the time so he's getting a tape looped he's doing double tracking he's doing he's doing he's sort of artificial double tracking artificial, kind yeah, of. yeah yeah moving the yeah and so he, he says, I heard this rhythm pattern and I thought, God, well, this would be great for this song. So I asked Wesley Rose, the producer slash manager, if I could use a tape loop on the drums. He said, I don't care. <laughs> so I hooked it up, fed it back into the console, got the balance. And then basically what he does is he just does a switch. So it's on during the verse and then off during the bridge. So it's a, tape, it's, it's, it's a loop. It's, the drums are a loop. It's not a loop. No, it's 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 sort of... Oh, just the it's effect, a, it's, the effect it's a, of the it's loop. A delay. Yeah, it's, it's a, a de- delay. It's a delay loop essentially, of a live yeah. performance. So it makes the drums really big at one point and then he switches it off when the band comes in and puts it back on again. Nice. It's all just part of why these things are uh, yeah. hits. And this is a hit. It's number one in the UK for seven weeks. Wow. So this is our big one. Well, I thought the big one was the was the Dustman for four weeks, but this is seven weeks. Wow. So I've given it 62 for production and I'm glad I did. Yes. Again, that's, that's, you know, yeah, that's great. And then we go on to lyrics. Um... And again, we're so in Beatles territory here. John, yeah. especially, I think, you know, you've got you've got things like you can hear "I'm a Loser" in here, can't you? And things like that. It's self-pitying yet tinged with a little bit of anger and hurt. Why are you doing this to yeah. me? That kind of feel to it. Like, um, it which is neatly captured neatly in the Kathy's clown name. Like, it's that that hook. It's a clever, it's a clever kind of thing. It, it, it's it's a ridiculously clever thing. I mean, I'm looking at it here, and you're thinking, this song's called Kathy's Clown. That's actually a really weird name for a song. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the idea that we're just, it's it's like we're just singling someone out, pointing to them, and saying, "Ah, oh, you know who that is." Yeah, it's like we're having a conversation with someone, or someone's saying, "Have you seen who's over there?" Well, it's, but like, it's not that, but it's not that because that's not the perspective yeah. of the song. But that is what's happening. But the person, the person singing it, is saying, "Look, they're pointing at me, saying there he is, Kathy's clown, yeah. the hanger on a look, lovesick puppy, look, doesn't, doesn't, you know, and that's like I'm a loser, you know. Look what that's what I know what that's what's saying about me. They're saying, yeah, yeah, you know, they're saying you're going to lose that girl, and that's another one, isn't it? You know, they're oh, saying par- paranoid men, paranoid, but it's basically angsty teen love songs, like you know, and that feel that that tapping into that angsty teen feeling of thinking that everyone thinks that you're a joke you know the whole world yeah. is looking at you and no one probably is really it's a nice interesting take on a genre that obviously goes comes on goes on to rub off on people um, goes on to rub goes off on, on people to rub off on off of people <laughs> um yeah and just that kathy's clown line just elevate it from being any old lyric in any old teen jilted love song it just turns it into something a bit more interesting so I'm giving it 58 for lyrics, which is 60 overall. Okie dokie. Goody. So finally, we have Three Steps to Heaven. Eddie Cochran. Now there. Three Steps to Heaven. 
steps to heaven paul yeah though well, this is one of those strange rock and roll things isn't it that this mm. song was there waiting to be released at a time and then eddie cochran dies yeah so this gets to number one on the 23rd of um june 1960 it spends two weeks at number one produced by snuff garrett composed by eddie cochran and his brother bob it's on the london record label um, it doesn't do anything in America, this, so which is oh, odd. Okay. But, so Eddie Cochran, we've obviously mentioned him a couple of times in the Beatles-y section. Yeah. 1938 to 1960, so he's a very young man. He was someone who, again, would probably have gone on to have an amazing career in the studio because he was really interested in studio work. He was interested in effects and technology. Mm. He was writing his own songs. Um but even in the short time he was with us, he was enough of an influence to be like the person that, you know, Mac is playing 20 Flight Rock to impress John yeah. when he first meets him at Walton, or first meets him, disputed, at Walton Village Fate. You know, to get into the band, he's like, I know 20 Flight Rock. Yeah. Which is a Cochrane song, things like that. Right. But yeah, so, I mean, this is a sad story because obviously much of the coverage of him, you look look anything up is it's about him dying in this, this car crash over here in england yeah and and when you look further into it it gets even sadder because eddie cochran knew and was really really affected by the deaths of uh buddy holly and richie valens and the big bopper yeah uh, you know and he was like i don't want to go out on the road i don't want to die i want to stay in the studio but his sort of career demanded it and what happens is he goes out on the road and yeah. an idiot driving too fast gets him killed. Mm. It's um, it's it's a horrible, sad story. And it's such a shame that so many bright sparks was kind of you know snuffed yeah. out in those in that relatively short period of time. You know, yeah. And I'm sure if you sort of, and I'm sure someone has sort of analysed it. It's this relationship with rock and roll to sort of speed and not caring and mm. and yeah, it's not that most of the time. Most of the time, what it is is bad safety, bad planning, um, um, a lack of a lack of thought. Reading Mal's diaries, yeah, you you think it's just wonder the Beatles survived, survived yeah. their tours, especially by the time yeah. they were getting the size they were, and they were like playing in open stop stadiums where, where the whole stage had been rained on and you know yeah. and in front of crowds who any one of them could have had a gun on them and it's just crazy i would just be being, yeah. being being absolutely all dry even before all that being driven down snowy yeah. motorways in the dark with the windscreen out you know and coming off the road yeah or someone just got, could have just gotten ill and gone yeah you know it's all sorts of things like that it's it's, it's really strange but yeah, so the record gets released uh, on uh, May the 6th in the UK. So that's obviously after he's died. Uh, in America, it's it, like I found um, a reference to this single coming out where it seems to imply that Cut Across Shorty, the B-side, is is the, uh, is the lead part of it. And Three Steps to Heaven, Billboard says, an interesting rocking beat side that has a lot of spirit. Side is a fine guitar accompaniment in the folkish style. So that was published in Billboard, actually on the day that he died, when they wouldn't have known yet when that went to print. Mm. Um, but obviously, 
the fact that it's called Three Steps to Heaven and it's yeah, yeah, there by someone who has died, who himself has written songs already talking to Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and the Big Bopper mm. because that's so much on his mind. Oh, gosh, it's such a weird thing, these yeah. rock and roll stories. Well, that's a shame. So let's listen to, let's talk about the music then. I mean, I know this song well from playing it a lot in the beat band. Yes. That followed the... That's where I first heard it. Yes, so you would have played this too with us. We did that. You? Yeah, we did so that. So we used to play in this Blythe High Beatles band when we were in school with a couple of teachers. And we did, started off mainly doing Beatles stuff, but then we had a feature singer who'd come on and do a little section of anything, wouldn't he, from this kind of period, from the 60s, and of which, Ian, and of which we we would do Three Steps to Heaven. Is that right? We definitely did it because I'd never heard it and we had to learn the backing vocals, yeah. which are... You know, three steps to heaven, three, three steps, steps to heaven. heaven. Ooh, wop, 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 ooh. ooh. And it felt very silly. Yeah. Because um, I didn't know the song very well. And back in those days, you couldn't just load it up on your phone. No, no, exactly. That's true. Yeah. We just had to kind of... We we, we knew it from our own version, didn't we? From what we were yeah. shown to play. We were basically being our own The Crickets because the band who's playing on this record is The Crickets. Oh, right. Buddy Holly's former band at this point. But um, so, yeah, so I don't think... I've, how often I've actually sat and listened to it because I've just known it from playing it. But um, I love the um, rolling tom drums in this that gives it kind of a, rum- yeah. a rumba rock beat. It's um, it's kind of, yeah, it's not a straight beat, is it? Yeah, it's not a, It's not sort of snare on two and four. No. It's sort of a tom-tom-esque sort of something going on underneath all the time. Yeah, which works great with the 12-bar style chords that are kind of augmented with the quick passage of chords that accompanies the wop-wop-oo. So you've got... Mostly it's kind of your standard rock and roll chords, but it has that... Ding, 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 ding. That's the kind yeah, of... Yeah, because what he's doing is that... Sort of, he's doing that sort of... I'm going to do a guitar thing. Go on then. So the rhythm's in that sort of strumming yeah. pattern. It's a it's a it's there. a chord rhythm hook rather than a. Like, Although in like for some riff. reason in the key of B flat, which is not a guitar key, so I wonder oh, what happened there. That's strange. It's a catchy, rocky tune, and the pace is good with a hip shaking rhythm and a good vocal over the top of it. We get classic close backing with the bass voice now and again comes up more than I realised. So although we were doing the wop wop ooze when we did it, no one was doing the kind of like oh, but it's like there's a bass voice in there, kind of. Doing some yeah. some side getting in their little feature in every now and again, um, yeah. And we have the minor chord variations, which really help elevate it out of standard rock and roll too, and add nice ways to bridge and develop. So, in every now and again, it goes onto the minor, doesn't it? To um to to trans uh, trans. I don't think it's a minor. What it does is it does it uses sevenths quite well. I think. Oh, a seventh. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then it, and then then the things do go wrong. Bits. Yeah, I think that would be. Is that a seventh? Is it? Yeah, yeah, and then but then something, yeah, they 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 accentuate that seventh, don't they as well? Yeah, they really push it. So. Yeah, so um, yeah, I've it's good. I've given it forty nine for music. It's a good guitar song, and that's that's what you'd expect from Eddie Cochran. Yes, good and guitarist, and and again, sort of quite an accessible guitar sound because of the strumming featuring so so heavily. And so far in the series, the, the probably the rockiest and rolliest one so far, I'd say. Yeah. Um, Production like there's modern ears feels it could be rockier. It's essentially built around an acoustic kind of sounding guitar, isn't it? Which I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. But that's because we used to play with Mr. Cope and his flying V. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we play with this with someone who had a kind of a big rock guitar. Um, but no, it's a quite it's a sort of guitar playing broken chords in the background as well. It's like yeah, um, yeah. 
it's not just they're not just hammering the the strumming it's not it's not there yet for rock and roll in that sense is it but but Cochrane's done that elsewhere, okay, essentially. Yeah. You have to remember, this is called Three Steps to Heaven. It's not going to be... A, it's not meant to be... You know, he's already done Summertime Blues. Yeah, uh, of course. If you want yeah. a ch 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 chunk You know, I, I always think of this as being a heavier song, production-wise, than it is. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's quite subtle, but it is still clearly rock and roll. Yeah. The bass in there um, is a little flatter than in some of the others we've heard before. Uh, the vocals all blend nicely, and his voice has definitely made the feature... Uh, the kit is mostly on toms, though, so there's no snare to cut through it all. But it works, but I do sometimes miss a snare when people... I'm quite happy for there to be a snare most of the time. When they, there isn't one sometimes, I feel it's lacking a bit of It's a all right. You'll, you'll get plenty of snare over the course of this project. I'm looking forward to it. Snare, yeah. Um, so I'm oh, giving it... don't ever say that again. <laughs> 41 for production. Um, it was recorded in basically his final session. Oh. So not only is it his sort of first posthumous release it's also a song from his final session he records it on the 8th of january 1960 at the gold star studio in california and this is take five should you want to know that right well we have the um let's go on to the lyrics and um it's only a, it's a great idea it's not really expanded too much further than you need to you know well i want to check with you paul without looking right without go looking on. i'm going to try and i'm going to test you on the steps but i'm going to do them out of order okay What's step three? You kiss and hold her tightly. Yep. Step one. Find a girl you love. Step two. Uh, bridge that gap by making her fall in love with you. Or, no, or you don't make her. She just falls in love she with you. She falls in love with you. That's it. Well done. You found they've got yeah. the three steps to, to heaven, really. Um, yeah, I, simple as that. I do like a nice metaphor. It is an actual metaphor because he doesn't say there's something like steps. There are three steps to heaven. And they aren't really steps. They are things that you do for to a lady. So, yeah. Um, yeah uh, there was there, there was a, a soap opera that ran on NBC in 1953, 1954 called Three Steps to Heaven, which I don't think has got anything to do with this, other than that people might have known the phrase. Yeah. Particularly because I don't think it's... It's clearly, if you've got the word heaven in there, it's somewhere must have come from the notion, biblical thing. You know, what do you have to do to get into heaven? Yeah. And it's now been turned into what, well, heaven's on earth in the form of girls. Yeah. That's uh, rock and roll. That sure seems like heaven to me. Mm. Uh, that's the lyric. So I, I'm going to give it a solid, a solid 50 for lyrics because it's, everyone knows three steps to heaven. They know that those words. Um, which gives it 47 overall, Paul. Okay, there we go. And there's us for this 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 episode where we've done another four songs which gives us not our first top 10 but our first top nine. Oh, that's annoying <laughs> so, I know. we'll do a top we'll do a top nine then shall we paul yeah yeah and then next next episode we'll do a top 13 oh <laughs> you didn't think of that did you no we won't oh, we, we'll, no. we'll probably just do top 10s at that point um okay at number nine anthony newley do you mind at number eight anthony newley why? Oh dear. At number seven, Emile Ford and the Checkmates, what do you want to make those eyes at me for? At number six, should be higher. Lonnie Donegan, My Old Man's a Dustman. At number five, Adam Faith, Poor Me. At number four, Johnny Preston, Running Bear. At number three, Eddie Cochran, Three Steps to Heaven. At number two, Michael Holiday, Starry Eyed. And at number one, Kathy's Clown, The Everly Brothers. 
this is interesting, actually. I I really wouldn't have thought that Michael Holiday would have struck quite so, I, so I, well in, I in that it. first episode. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, to put it up there and, and it's sort of being a sandwich of those two rockers or those two more rock and roll type songs is interesting. I think you will find if, you know, anyone who's listened to this for three series will, will already know this. But if you haven't, um, you'll find that the likely thing to happen for me is towards the later end of the 60s, mid and later 60s, a bit like what happened with the Beatles music. My ears, I love it all, but my ears start to really prick up when people start doing interesting things in the studio and things like that and being more progressive. So I think with things like that, you're going to hear that represented here as well. That's why I keep on saying something that scores 30 or 40 isn't a bad thing. It's just that I'm, I know I need headroom because when I hear something where they start to really experiment with the genre and do interesting progressive things, I need room to move into because for, for me, that makes things better, you know, eventually. Yeah. So I, I have to give myself that room. And I think Kathy's Clown, we saw some of that. And in Starry-Eyed, it had just some really interesting choices in there, which I thought were really cool. Yeah, so there we go. We're getting, we're getting there. We're getting there, Paul. We're We've begun. There. We've begun. Sure we have. So uh, we will see you next week, whenever that week will be, in real time. And um, <laughs> Smooth. What did you just say? Smooth. Smooth. <laughs> Work for the radio. Um, we'll be back <laughs> at some point. Um, that will be a thing. I always imagine that if anyone's still listening at this point, then they're willing to put up with nearly anything. <laughs> So yeah, you'd have to be an addict to our idiocy. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. And goodbye. Love you.